I thought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more, Macbeth is murdering sleep, innocent sleep, sleep that soothes away all our worries, sleep that puts each day to rest, sleep that relieves the weary laborer and heals hurt minds, sleep the main course in life's feast and the most nourishing. Macbeth, Act Two, Scene Two. There can be no doubt that Macbeth is a tragedy. It is filled with ominous prophecy and, above all else, death. The key plot point is the murder of King Duncan, committed by the Macbeths to secure their power. From that murder, all others seem to flow. Murder and violence haunts the Macbeths. Lady Macbeth in particular loses all touch with reality and ultimately ends her own life. She seems to suffer the most from the trauma. And that is what Dr. Lisa Grogan and I will be discussing today. We will examine the psychological symptoms displayed by Lady Macbeth and discuss how accurately they represent the trauma response. There is discussion of trauma, PTSD, and suicide in this episode. So if that will bother you, it may be best to skip this episode. With that out of the way, let's dive into the dark depths of Lady Macbeth. Hello everybody, welcome to Breaking Bard, a Ripe Good Scholar podcast. I'm your host Sarah, also known as Ripe Good Scholar on a tiny corner of the internet. I am joined in this episode by my dear friend, Dr. Lisa Grogan. Hello. Uh, we today are going to be talking about Lady Macbeth and what's going on in her head. Yes. After I'm excited. <laughs> after murder. <laughs> for those who don't know, spoiler alert, does not go well for her. No, it does <laughs> she not. She does not deal with murder well. <laughs> um, and which is funny, which has always been funny to me because, like, at the start of the play, she is all like gun ho oh yeah let's murder everybody on it yeah and she like has the whole plan and macbeth is like freaking out she's like stop being a girl about this right we're just murdering a king it's fine go to it's bed it's fine yeah and and then it it i remember the first time i listened to macbeth it felt very sudden that like all of a sudden like the tables totally turned mm-hmm. and she was like maybe we shouldn't keep murdering people and Macbeth's like no more murder <laughs> and um one um production I saw at Cincinnati Shakespeare Company which in the scene where the murderers actually come upon Banquo and his son mm-hmm. there's like a mysterious fourth murderer that shows up who's oh. just like oh Macbeth sent me and they're like okay weird but okay and I, I've heard of other productions doing this as well, that this fourth murderer is actually Lady Macbeth, who like shows up to see if Macbeth has actually ordered Banquo's death. Because right before that, she's like, we don't have to worry about Banquo. Who cares? It's whatever. Let's maybe stop murdering people. And he's like, but maybe we should still murder Banquo, though. Maybe, yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should take care of that real quick. Um... And then it's it's shortly after that that you see Lady Macbeth really kind of like struggle mm-hmm. with her like night terrors, night sleepwalking. Right, right, and the hand washing and Yeah. And then ultimately her suicide. Right. Presumed right. suicide. But death. <laughs> yeah. So it just got me thinking, are her symptoms of these like 
dream, vision, sleepwalking things. Something you might see when someone goes through a trauma. Yes, but. (laughs) So, I think one, I think in understanding trauma, like, it's, it's understanding trauma. Um, a lot of times in the field, there's this kind of idea that it's either PTSD or nothing. Um, but trauma is much bigger than the diagnosis of PTSD. And we actually have a really hard time defining it because what may be traumatic for me may be different than what's traumatic for you, for the next person, etc. Um, but generally the way that I think of it is trauma is something that overwhelms your ability to cope. I define it that way because then it focuses on your reaction to it, not the event itself. Mm-hmm. So when we understand that kind of that's what creates trauma, then all of the symptoms that flow from it tend to make more sense. So absolutely. Um, nightmares i think that's probably one of the like nightmares and what we call intrusive thoughts where you're just bobbing along and then all of a sudden like this kind of visual image or you know flashback can happen or things like that um those are probably the two symptoms that are most associated with trauma and i think even in you know kind of the the public consciousness like we understand that Mm -hmm. you know i mean not only like war movies and things like that but we just kind of understand you know if you have experienced something traumatic, it's going to interrupt your sleep. You're going to think about it when you don't want to. So in that instance, yes, having it screw with her sleep is not surprising. The specific way that it comes out for her is a little unusual. And this is where one understanding that, you know, this is a play, we're writing it for drama. You know, we, we want it to be entertaining and dramatic and things like that. And so having her, you know, frantically sleepwalking and hand washing and, you know, not knowing who's around her and that kind of thing, it, it makes for a great play. Accidentally confessing to murder. Yes. Right. Accidentally <laughs> confessing to murder. Right. It makes for a great play. Um, coupled with this is also written by somebody hundreds of years ago, you know, and even though the understanding of the impact of trauma, like there are accounts from thousands of years ago of, you know, soldiers returning from war and exhibiting symptoms Mm -hmm. of PTSD. But as a field, like we are still researching, we are still understanding, we are still learning. So recognizing that, that you've got, you know, this playwright trying to write something entertaining as far as I know, Shakespeare never really went to war. I don't know how much he would have seen returning soldiers. Um, I don't know about seeing returning sh- soldiers. Um, most evidence points to he never That's what went I thought. to war or saw any sort of military service. Yeah, because I think he was towards the end of Elizabeth's reign, beginning of James' reign. I, I don't think there was, like, a whole lot going on. You know, right. I mean, there was always, like, oh, Scotland, but, like... Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, there there wasn't... Because, yeah, I was trying to... I was like, there wasn't enough of a conflict that, you know, the they would be calling up playwrights to go defend the realm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you have to be pretty deep into it by that point. Um, so, this is also someone who, you know probably didn't have firsthand knowledge of what that would have looked like um but it does make sense like i said you know really like 
Sleep and attention are like two of the first things that are impacted by anything. Which is interesting as we look at actually more of what's described with Macbeth than even Lady Macbeth. Um, one, I mean, he sees Banquo's ghost, which like, that's a potential hallucination, which is a whole different thing. But if you think of it as kind of an artistic portrayal of intrusive thoughts, he's at this dinner with all the noble lords. Everybody's like, oh, where's Banquo? Why isn't he here yet? And Banquo's like, oh, I don't know. That's super weird. And then like, oops, Banquo's in my chair because I killed him. Right. Um, you know, kind of that idea idea of of the fact that he murdered Banquo coming yeah. into his head in that moment. Um, and then also, it's it's noted a few times throughout the play that neither of them are sleeping. Right. Um, there's actually a famous line, like, Macbeth killed sleep. Mm-hmm. And that they, like, both just stopped sleeping. Right. Which I imagine also leads to some problems. Yes. Like, Macbeth pretty much falling off the deep end, and then Lady Macbeth going to get because we we really like she has her sleepwalking scene and then we don't see lady Macbeth. right we don't ever see her again so we don't really know what she's like in the daytime yeah (laughs) after she kind of like cracks right um but it was just interesting that's interesting to me as you talked about kind of the the first kind of signs of dealing with trauma is Mm -hmm. that that's something that pretty much everyone around them noted right was happening and also just quick sidebar i don't know how much of the like what they were experiencing was in the historical record but macbeth was pretty much lifted from holland shed's chronicles like mm-hmm. witches and all um so i wouldn't be surprised if holland shed mentioned it i just can't remember right now right i did yeah. a whole podcast episode about it so you'd think i'd know but <laughs> no um that if if there was some truth to Holland Shed's record, which is a big if, because mm-hmm. witches like right. popping up, like literally summoning Hecate in front of him, <laughs> seems what un- seems happen. unlikely. Um, and you know, but if there was some truth in it, that you know they essentially just wrote down what we would now say like oh they were right having a traumatic response yeah and i think you know i I think that as we look back like there are you know glimmers of things that we now recognize as something different and um you know especially the very first episode of you know your podcast that i was on talking about henry and we talk about you know like what were they noting in the historical record that we now recognize as signs of schizophrenia? So at this point, we're like, okay, what in the historical record are we now noting as symptoms of trauma? Mm-hmm. Coupled with this kind of human desire for fairness and justice. Hmm. So if someone is unjustly murdered, we want their killer to be tormented by that deed we want as as humans you know that is part of that we we want them to know mm-hmm. it's even built into our our modern justice system you know we have in court you know victim impact statements so there's this idea that the person who did the deed should have to suffer mm-hmm. in some way so that makes sense 
where it kind of veers off from actual symptomology into more of, you know, fiction for me is that, you know, kind of Banquo just kind of popping up and talking to him and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, because usually what we see if we're talking like intrusive thoughts or nightmares, it is a reliving of what happened. Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, you kind of walk into a room where something happened and it's like, you're right back there and you see, you know, the, the blood on the floor of the body or, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, they usually don't just like sit up and talk to you, you know, um, now I have never experienced hallucinations after murdering someone. What? Um, so, but you've murdered so many people. I know. <laughs> Surprising that they haven't caught me by now. <laughs> For legal purposes, that is a joke. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us have murdered people. But I can't directly speak to particularly what variety those hallucinations would take, but it would not be outside the realm of possibility to, you know, see the person that you killed or, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, Especially, you know, I mean, I feel like if someone already kind of had a bent for that, I wouldn't be surprised if that triggered something. Yeah. Like, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Random sidebar, because I'm remembering the the scene with Bankwell um, when he shows up at the dinner table. I, I think, at least in the Cincinnati Shaper Company production, he didn't say anything. But he just kind of would, like, point. Mm. And, you know, Macbeth was like, where am I supposed it was funny to me because Macbeth's like where am I supposed to sit and everybody's like in that empty chair and he's like no there's Banquo in that chair everybody's like they're not there's not there's not though but they they would like turn off because like Banquo leaves the scene a few times Mm -hmm. and they would like turn off the lights so and like real quick so it would just be like he's just gone Mm. and then he popped back up one time and he must have had like blood capsules in his mouth and he, you know, and then he opened his mouth and just blood, like, poured down. And it was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's creepy. But, um, what's interesting with that, though, is that Macbeth was not present for Banquo's murder. Right. So it would be hard to have, like, a reliving exactly. of something you exactly. didn't partake yeah. But with Lady Macbeth and her dreams, right. she is exactly reliving it, even right. down to, like, go to bed, The someone's knocking at the door. Right, and the hand, yeah, and the hand washing and that kind of thing that, you know, she she can't get the blood out, you know, and, and that kind of thing and this kind of forever unclean feeling. Yeah. Um, especially because one of the things that often happens with trauma is that it it shifts, like everything shifts. Like most people who have experienced a trauma, their life is kind of divided into before and after. And there's this very fundamental shift and there's a lot of sense of, you know, self-blame and guilt, even in traumas that were not you murdering someone, you know, even if something happened to you, you know, there's a lot of that. Obviously, if you did the thing, that feeling would be magnified. There may even be this kind of push-pull of, I feel this tremendous, you know, trauma about it, but I don't deserve to because I caused it. Hmm. So... I could definitely, you know, see that kind of playing out, you know, for her and that kind of thing. And this feeling of like, I'm broken, I'm unclean, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, A lot of times 
like when I have people who have trauma, they kind of have this idea of if you got to know me, you wouldn't like me. Like the person that I am deep down inside is unlovable or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it just kind of really like shatters that core belief of worthiness. And even more so in this instance where it's because of her direct action. Yeah. That is interesting though to think about because like, I mean, from the start, she's not that great of a person. <laughs> like in her first speech, she's, or no, second. One of her, her like second scene where she's talking to Macbeth, she's like, listen, if I had promised to kill our baby for you, I would have. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. Okay. That seems intense. Right. But, you know, you do you, boo. Right. Um... <laughs> You know, like, she's literally like, I would pull my breast out of its mouth and, like, smash it. And you're like, oh, oh that, was... that escalated quickly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone was asking you to do that. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I did have to wonder, the, the sleeping aspect aside, mm -hmm. like, kind of the obsessive hand washing, do, is that ever, uh, like, something you might see? Mm, I wouldn't rule it out. Um... It's not the most common of trauma symptoms, um, but particularly in this instance, it would not be entirely surprising um, because that's also a reenactment, mm -hmm. you know, action of, you know, she did have blood on her hands and is, you know, trying to wash it off and that kind of thing. Um, we generally see obsessive hand washing more uh in terms of obsessive compulsive disorder um you know germ phobia that kind of thing it wouldn't be like i said it wouldn't be entirely surprising but also not the most common yeah well i i i don't know that i'd necessarily be like su surprised that it's uncommon because like i feel like that kind of symptom that you know the the washing it would be pretty trauma specific yeah like yeah that you'd have to have that feeling of being dirty or having dirt on blood on your hand right right and, you know, and i yeah because i'm kind of thinking like you know if we could see other obsessive behaviors that would be trauma specific like if someone's house was broken into that they would become very obsessive about checking locks or things like that um you know i we do also see survivors of sexual assault who become very obsessive about washing their bodies and feeling unclean in that way mm -hmm. um so yeah you know especially like i said in, in this instance where she would have literally had blood on her hands mm -hmm. that's not surprising yeah because she like quite literally like think like smeared blood on the clothes of the guards to make it look like this. so like she literally right literally would have literally had blood her, on hands her hands were covered in blood um also stabbing is a very very messy yeah well Macbeth did the actual stabbing okay he just walked out of the room with the knife and she's like what are you doing you dumb oh yeah put the knives back <laughs> <laughs> gotta put those knives back and he's like I can't go back in there <laughs> and then I did like it, it it always struck me with Lady Macbeth that there's a couple, there's like one time before the murder and one or two times after that she remarks that like King Duncan looked like her father and that's why 
it was kind of traumatic. I was like, "Woo, we got daddy issues thrown in there too." Right? Yeah, because you know, I mean, we could have, we could have. It is very difficult to kill people. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I think that that's one of those things that it is very interesting to me. Kind of the the difference in you know reaction and approach to it and that kind of thing because like you said you know that lady macbeth is on point to kill these people mm -hmm. and macbeth isn't and i think it's interesting to look at that as you know he was a soldier he would have seen death and that kind of thing and so that makes him more hesitant to enact more of it yeah and i think it's one of those things where you know and i I would hope that most people don't think it's easy to kill somebody. Like, oh, I would no. hope most people, you know, we're trying to have a society here. Maybe let's don't <laughs> run around and murder each other. What? Um, but it's often, you know, it's often much harder than, than even, than we think it is. Mm -hmm. You know, even as difficult as we think it is. That actually taking another life, it is, it is not something that humans were designed to do. Evolutionarily, we are a collective tribal species yeah. so we are not designed to kill each other yeah. and there is also you know this this sense of sameness that if like if i'm killing you you look like me you are a human too i am a human that kind of thing um so in that instance it's not entirely surprising that you know lady Macbeth, having never experienced this before and experiencing it for the first time very up close yeah. You know, we're not talking about like a sniper well, from 300 yards. Oh, yeah. And one of, the, and I mean, really, the fact that he looked like her father is yeah. one of the reasons that, like, I think before his death is one of the reasons she gave for, like, not being able to do it herself. Mm -hmm. And then um, afterwards, I think in her, like, sleep confession state, which, you know, <laughs> okay. Um, sure. Why not? Is like, you know, oh, he looked like my father. He had, you know, or his, I don't know, something about his beard. Mm -hmm. I should have the text in front of me, but I don't. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so we're, when you talk about, like, we're not designed to kill, it's almost like her brain was like, hey, this looks <laughs> like your dad. Maybe don't kill him. Right. And she's like. I'm gonna fight through that. I'm gonna right, fight through that feeling. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push through that one. <laughs> it was a that's bad plan. <laughs> that's that's the feeling I'm gonna push through. <laughs> well, and it's it's kind of funny because like after Macbeth finds out about her death, you know, at this point he has personally killed Duncan. Mm -hmm. He's ordered the death of Banquo. Mm -hmm. And his son. His son, Banquo's son, got away, but... And slaughtered the Macduff family. Right. Did Macbeth do that directly, or did he order that? He ordered it. Okay, I was trying to remember. Yeah, he ordered it. Yeah, so now we've um, thrown, like, you know, killing kids into the mix, too. As yes. far as, like, the trauma perspective. You know, because there's... There are definitely levels, I guess, of trauma, you know, that, well, like... And killing children is pretty far down there. Well, and that's, that's the, you know, with, the, after the initial act, once Macbeth starts killing more people, mm -hmm. that's where you kind of see Lady Macbeth, like, jump off the murder bandwagon and really, like, sink into her, oh my god, what have we done? Yeah. You know, she really kind of flips when she realizes that he did kill Banquo. Mm-hmm. 
and that he did, um, you know, I don't know if we actually see her find out about the McDuff family. Um, Not in the Patrick Stewart version, at least. Yeah. But I don't know. Sometimes those get cut down. I'm trying to... Well, and that was so... The the McDuff family, like, a random messenger shows up. Right. To be like, hey, you should props go. Yeah. You should leave. You need to be gone. Like, he's he's coming. Uh, Not him specifically, but... They're coming, yeah. You know, they're coming for you. Right. And this is another kind of unnamed character. Mm -hmm. And so I want to say maybe... I want to say I've heard in productions where that, again, is Lady Macbeth. Okay. Who, like, shows up to be like, go. Which that would be, that would be, like... That would be a more interesting kind of approach to it of, you know, she feels such guilt, you know, over it. And, like, I mean, in general, like, spouses do tend to feel, you know, some kind of, like, responsibility, you know, for for something. You know, I mean, obviously, like, if I knew that, you know, my spouse was on it. Well, if I knew my spouse was on his way to murder somebody, like, I'm calling the cops. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, yeah, we're not doing that, you know, but like many many steps before that you know generally you know if if you have some insider knowledge you want to warn people you know that kind of thing but I think that would that's also interesting viewed through the lens of her guilt about her participation in the murder of Duncan and then trying to assuage that by protecting the McDuff family well and I have to wonder too like if there there's a part of her guilt that's like I encouraged him to kill Duncan, which started him down this really right. dark path. So she she would have felt even more personal responsibility, yeah, you know, in that to kind of protect people from him and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting, you know, a very psychologically, like, interesting twist of, like, you know, random messenger versus, you know, Lady Macbeth trying to warn people. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was it was kind of an interesting interpretation because that it, it did also allow us then to keep seeing Lady Macbeth. Like the right. fourth murderer, she, she, we still see her after that. Like the whole dinner scene, I believe mm-hmm. happens after that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. little Banquo's ghost shows up. So he has to be dead by then. Right. Um, you know, but kind of this idea of her seeing her husband kind of slip down this dark path and then you know ultimately it drives her to suicide and I don't know if I like wording it that way but yeah there's well to be honest there's not a there's not a fantastic way to you know word that like but it you know it does you know it does seem like the guilt does drive that yeah um that that is you know something that that drives her to take her life um which makes sense you know i mean that's like i can't imagine living with that oh no not at all and then and then you see Macbeth's reaction to it and while he does say you know she she should have died hereafter meaning like she shouldn't have died now she should Mm -hmm. have died later but he kind of he gives his famous like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech but he really is not like terribly upset 
right that his way at least in most readings i've seen he's kind of like huh all right then like right you know like he's like not that worried about it well, it's just like and i think also like it's you know again we're not sure exactly like you know what's what actually happened in the historical record because we just don't know but because we have a fictionalization of a fictionalized historical record right yeah you know <laughs> so who knows but like in that time especially at that level of nobility like arranged marriages you know so mm -hmm. even even the arranged marriages that worked out well there may or may not have been the same you know depth of feeling as we would expect in a marriage yeah, today you know so because that's the thing is that i mean really like we don't ever see the macbeths at their best and especially like if this is an arranged marriage and like my guess is that if she was that like gung-ho about murdering a king this is not the first like off the wall like he had to pull <laughs> her back from the ledge moment that they have had probably like you don't start with i would have ripped your baby away from my breast and dash it against the wall and maybe let's kill the king like you usually don't start there yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually that's a slow build but right you know, <laughs> you know we, we usually end well we don't hopefully usually end up there but you don't start there so <laughs> more alarming that that was the start right right so if that is the case one humans are complicated humans are just very very complicated so there may have been a mixture of emotion there of you know there may have been a relief that like you know she was gone because she had bonkers ideas about killing people there may have been a sense of you know well she is at peace now yeah. you know knowing how much she was wrestling with that there may have been a sense of relief that he didn't have to deal with her because if she you know like is clearly having this break from reality like mm -hmm. There may have been a relief that he doesn't have to deal with that. Um, you know, coupled with a sadness that she's gone, you yeah. know, because we don't, I mean, how long have they been married? Do we even know that? We don't know. Um, it was more than like a week though. Oh like, yeah. They, they <laughs> have been married, married for a while. And I have to say, oddly, like oftentimes when I think of like, who are some of Shakespeare's like best married couples? There's a part of me that's like the Macbeth. <laughs> they would murder for each other. Right. They would, <laughs> yeah, they would absolutely kill for each other. You know, there there is an odd, perverse kind of bond there. You know, yeah. But even so, I I can imagine that there would be a mixture of emotions going on. You I'm know, sure. so he may I, have had sadness that she was gone, but also, you know, relief that she that he doesn't have to deal with her you know a sense that she's at peace i want to say um there's actually he actually expresses at some point that like the idea of her being at peace or at least like well you know not suffering anymore yeah yeah i might be making that up again i didn't grab the text yeah <laughs> well and i mean also i think you know and i do think that would make sense i think even today, yeah, we have that sense of, you know, they're not in pain anymore. They're not suffering anymore. Um, it's, it's, 
As cynical as this sounds, it is something that we tell ourselves as the survivors to help us cope with it. Oh yeah. You know, because none of us know what happens after death and now we're getting really big and philosophical. Yeah. But it that is again a, a natural human driver. Yeah. That happens. I found the Macbeths interesting. Yeah. It's definitely I mean there's there's a lot there. <laughs> there is, because even you know, even like Lady Macbeth has like a clear break from reality, mm-hmm. but Macbeth has more of a like subtle yes. break from reality. Yes. Especially, f- you know, he like frantically goes again to the weird sisters to mm-hmm. be like, "What's gonna happen to me?" Right. And they give him the misleading prophecies, which again is in Holinshed's Chronicles. Like even the like they took branches from. Burnham Wood. I mean, he's almost like frantic at the end. Mm-hmm. Like he's still obviously concerned, but he's also under the belief that he can't be killed. Right, right. Because no man of woman born. Yeah, and then Macduff's like, "Surprise! I was a C-section." I'm like, "Oh, that was <laughs> terrible for your mom." And also, technically, you were still born. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like technicality here, man. Technicality, sir. Right. Shakespeare. My son was born. Yes, exactly. Trust me. Right. <laughs> We're not here to invalidate C-section moms. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Back off, Shakespeare. Uh-oh. Now, I do think that, like you said, that Lady Macbeth has a much more dramatic and sudden break from reality, whereas Macbeth's is a little bit more subtle and more gradual. And I think some of that could be attributed to prior experience. Yeah. Um, there's you know this kind of idea that the more we experience something the more not quite immune but kind of hardened to it that we Mm -hmm. become so like he would have seen death a little bit more than she had Mm -hmm. um so that may have been you know that that may have been responsible it wasn't quite as as jarring as it was, it was not quite as jarring for him as it was for her. Yeah. If this was her first experience to be that up close to it. Now, random question I just had. Mm-hmm. Can a traumatic experience cause a break from reality? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That one actually was pretty... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I imagine it could. Yes. But... <laughs> uh, I mean, there there are other things that would go into it people who have experienced a trauma particularly like a a singular trauma as an adult and i say that to differentiate from like chronic childhood trauma because we Mm -hmm. tend to see a little bit of a different symptom pattern with that but um kind of that singular trauma as an adult especially in those first couple of weeks people will often talk about you know being in a fog feeling like things aren't real like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing so it's not necessarily always very dramatic but there is kind of this like brain unplugging kind of thing that can happen um particularly if someone was already predisposed to psychosis yeah that could definitely kick it off i mean if you're already predisposed to it marijuana can kick it off i mean if you're predisposed you're predisposed but Mm -hmm. especially something like this absolutely that could kick that off um and speaking of that it is kind of interesting that like sleepwalking thing because even when people are dissociated they're usually not so completely locked in their own head that they're not aware that other people are around so that was kind of interesting to me and i like 
oh, that's a little bit more dramatic than it usually looks. <laughs> it's certainly not uncommon, um, but it's also not the most common of symptoms. There's a lot we don't understand about sleep, like yeah. just scientifically. There's so much we don't understand about our I brain. Know. Like it always kind of blows my mind. Brains are weird. Yeah, I know. Like brains are just super weird. Like, gosh, like there was a dude who, like what was his name? That got like the pole through his head. Uh, Phineas like, Gage. In, yeah, in, yep. like forever ago and was fine. Yeah. Like he had some memory problems. Right. It all had a significant personality change, which is how we know what the prefrontal cortex comes. Oh, yes. But as but survived it. Yeah, um, but like didn't die. Like people like, you yeah. know, got a paper cut and died. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but no, let's shove a railroad th spike through your face and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Brains are weird. Yeah. Especially like sleepwalking and that kind of thing. It is certainly not outside the realm of possibility. Um, it's certainly not the most common that I hear about. Yeah. However, some of that may also be due to just kind of, you know, reporting. At that point, we are relying on the reporting of those around that person. Yeah. That and we I don't also imagine have. it's not like she just very clearly like, I walked down and I washed my hands and right. confessed to this murder and then went back to bed every night. <laughs> right. I don't think that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, because, so, I do not know a lot about sleepwalking. That is not an area of expertise for me. But in general, like, humans have, like, when you're asleep, especially when you're in REM sleep, like, your body is paralyzed. Mm -hmm. So you don't act out your dreams. So, like, obviously, in order for sleepwalking to happen, like, something is short-circuiting the mm -hmm. that sleep paralysis thing. So, I don't know what makes that happen. Yeah. Well, you're not a sleep doctor. I'm so. not a sleep doctor. I found that interesting. And, like, you know, obviously knowing, like, artistic license was taken. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. But even with artistic license, there is definitely, you know... And, and I know this is something that you've talked about, you know, that one of the reasons that Shakespeare and his work has survived is because he was able to portray and get at these universal human truths mm -hmm. of experience. And that includes, you know, experiences and phenomena that they did not have the language for then that we do now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so even if it's not the most accurate portrayal of what a post-traumatic experience or symptom mm -hmm. cluster would look like, it's also not the most inaccurate. Yeah. You know, it's... It's conceivable that, you know, someone would have gone through a traumatic experience and exhibited some of these symptoms. And so people can see themselves in that or see someone that they know in that. And then couple that with that universal drive of if someone kills someone, we want that person to be tormented by the death. So, sure, let's marry the two. Yeah. You know, so I think even for all the artistic license that Shakespeare took, there is a lot of truth in what he portrayed. Thus ends another episode of Breaking Bard. Please join us next time when we really will discuss the source material for Antony and Cleopatra. If you want to make sure you don't miss that or any future episodes, make sure to hit subscribe. If you like the podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review and sharing with your friends. For more Shakespeare fun in the meantime, check out my blog at ripegoodscholar.com or look me up on Facebook, 
Twitter, or Instagram, at RapGoodScholar. You should also check out my new YouTube channel, where I just launched my first series on A Midsummer Night's Dream, and am about to start a series on Macbeth. Just search Ripe Good Scholar on YouTube. See you next time, and remember, our court shall be a little academic, still and contemplative in living art. <laughs>